Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Charlie Kleisler is an impact investor who believes that the deeper meaning of wealth is to make a positive contribution to humanity and the planet. He sees impact investing not as an intellectual exercise, but an expression of who he really is. Charlie Kleisler, welcome to the high-level consultation of the Club of Rome Rethinking Finance Hub. Uh, the purpose of... Mariana, it's an honor to be here, and thanks for reaching out, and I look forward to our conversation. Yeah, thank you. So the purpose of this uh, consultation is to, to take a transdisciplinary approach to reinventing finance. Uh, and... Uh, the intention is to capture ideas from some of the brightest minds on our planet in order to transform the financial system and to finance the transformation. Uh, because obviously, and as COVID-19 has shown us, the old system doesn't work and it didn't work. And, uh, from my perspective, this is just a dress rehearsal for could come if we don't wake up early enough to address the existential issues and problems that um, humanity is facing. So the first question is, from your perspective, how can we jumpstart the economy after COVID-19? And what is your recommendation? What are the mm. acupuncture points that uh, we should be addressing short term, middle term and long term? Well, great. Uh, so that's a great uh, starting um, question. And it also allows me to, re to frame it um, and go a little bit deeper um, into how you framed it. And so, so I, I believe, like you do, that the great transformation has already started, right? And the great transformation is the transformation that's going on to help humanity live within the caring constraints of a finitely resourced planet, right? In that donut space that uh, was uh, was articulated so well by by others and so COVID-19 is just an expression of um, the issues that humanity has caused the planet and the planet is responding to that as any system does if the pressures get too big so we know from a systems perspective that uh, systems only change if there's enough pressure to change it and they don't change if there's not enough pressure and if you think about why COVID-19 happened and go to the root causes as opposed to the symptoms, then eventually you're going to end up thinking about the living spaces of uh, species, right? Because uh, I think if the species on this planet uh, live too close together, then viruses that are not supposed to jump, jump from one species to the other. So what causes that proximity that can become toxic for one or multiple species? Well, I would think that uh, it is a combination of uh, deeper issues like um, loss of habitat, for instance, right? So if a species gets so, so, so distressed, they move closer to where they are not supposed to be, and that's a consequence of um, loss of habitat. Where does why does loss of habitat happen? Well, 
because uh, clear-cutting trees is more uh, profitable than not clear-cutting trees. It's because big, big ag is more profitable doing the monocultures that they do and, and neglecting the issues of biodiversity. So nature has been teaching us for a long time what sustainability practices really mean. And I would say they're, you know, a circularity, meaning without waste. So if we were to design our financial system and our economic system uh, without waste, that would be a, a good thing. It is about biodiversity and it is about photosynthesis and, 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 and making sure that we, um, you know, use energy that's produced by nature and not by something that actually pollutes uh, nature. And so in this context, right, I just made the argument that COVID-19 happened because a design mistake of the economic and financial system. And so your question has, has to be taken in that context, because if we now address some of the symptoms without making sure that we address the symptoms with a view on, 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 on not, at least not contributing to the systemic um, misdesigns of the underlying causes, hopefully even better that we design it in a way that actually accelerates the transition and not hinders the transition that, that I started talking about. And that is the question of the day, right? And so to me, jumpstarting uh, the, the, the system uh, will, will have an we will have an opportunity to address maybe some of the issues that were, that, that, that were plainly visible, even to a non-trained economic eye. Uh, for instance, the, you know, we saw the breakdown of global supply chains in the food system, in the pharmaceutical system, and uh, not yet, but in the, in the energy production and consumption system, COVID didn't really show that, but that's a third system that has to be fixed. But in, in the food supply system, for instance, it, was, it has been plainly obvious, right, that the uh, global systems are not resilient enough in order, to take, um, in order to take these shocks and absorb these shocks in a way that doesn't um, distress the local and regional economies. So if we would take this opportunity, for instance, and start redesigning the global food systems such that they become more resilient, you know, that would be a good thing. And people would understand, hopefully, that that is a good thing now because they, they've seen what happens if it breaks down. Now, with respect to just one more system, one more system and then we'll go back maybe to, to follow on questions, is the medical system, right? The medical system was at the forefront of the response. And so treating the symptoms, particularly in countries like the US, where the, um, the, the, the medical system is just not designed for resilience, it's not designed for alleviating inequality, it's not designed for alleviating social injustice, COVID-19 showed the ugliness of that system. And if we just treat the symptoms, meaning that we make sure that supply chains of, uh, of respirators and masks and all of that are there, well, then we haven't done it justice, right? And it's a huge opportunity to do that. So, so let me conclude my introductory remarks by saying, you know, we are in the middle of this disruption and we need to disrupt the, uh, the desire of the system to go back to, to, its, old, uh, to its old design. Right. So these, these consultations gravitate around changing finance and financing change. So from your perspective, let's go back to the finance sector. And I would like for you to reflect upon 
the factors that are not functioning within the financial system. You are an investor, mm -hmm. you're a serial entrepreneur, uh, you're mm -hmm. founder of Tonic. What is, what is it that you have tried with your own in, uh, interventions, with your mm -hmm. own uh, investments, entrepreneurial activities and others? What dysfunctionality of the financial system have you tried to address yeah. and why and how can moving forward, what are the acupuncture points within this financial yeah. system that we need to address? Yeah. So let's go directly into opportunities for alleviating the short-term pain, the midterm opportunities and the long-term opportunities. So now we're to the point where we can discuss what specifically can we do and why and what would it fix, right? So let's start out with the short-term opportunities, right? Because I think the pain and the suffering is real and it's real for many many people and particularly for the disadvantaged people and the people that are poor and on, on the on the on the enterprise side it's similarly you know social enterprises who also depend on um financing of course and making sure that the demand side is coming back for services that are temporarily uh, not being paid for you know we need to make sure that these um enterprises actually not only survive but thrive so what are the four or five short-term interventions that we can do to make sure that that happens well one thing is that we need to provide uh, cheap capital uh, to um to the to the to the organizations that, that are serving the poorest of the poor with loans for instance because the poorest of the poor during crisis like this they don't have access to capital but they don't even have access to any source of capital. And in the US, the CDFIs, the community development uh, financing institutions are a great way of making sure that we, we provide capital to these poorest of, of the poor, right? Along the same lines, we need to um, restructure and forgive loans, right? Because I just made the point that a lot of, uh, a lot of um, businesses don't have the cash flow evened out because of the lack of demand in, in, in a pandemic like this. And so we, we need to impact investors particularly, we need to be at the forefront of alleviating the pain that they have to pay back at a time when they cannot pay back the loans, right? And so a, a little bit more of a, of, a, of a stretch for many people short-term, but I would also think that that's a short-term intervention that makes sense, is to move to more blended capital structures. And blended capital structures are structures where you have two different or three different types of um, of capital that demands different returns with respect to financial returns and impact returns and combine them into into a financing structure that together can actually alleviate these uh, issues and build for the future in the midterm and long term because if we just you know patch things up without having more sustainability in the way that we finance these things and they will break down again down downstream i think from a re regulatory standpoint on on the short term we should just um uh for a bit you know take out the um algorithmic trading and just say that's not a that that's not a contract that's not a productive way of using our systems and technology to just you know invest without without providing any any discernible you know uh, impact good impact or any any product or service to humanity and uh and similarly i think it's time to regulate the hedge funds back into the system so that we at least know what's going on and so these are opportunities in, in the short term and some of them can be taken into the midterm. So midterm, I think that uh, it's an opportunity to, to rethink um, 
venture capital and how, why, why it doesn't work for equities for that matter for the impact economy, particularly for the deep impact economy, right? So if you, if you think back about why venture capital was invented, it was invented because of Moore's law where the CPU powers, the computer powers, uh, you know, doubled every 18 months, which created nice exits, financial exits for the venture, venture capital community after about uh, five to 10, 10 years, right? And so that system was designed for um, a single time financial ex exit, maximizing the returns for the for limited partners and the general partners with no discernible concern about long-term sustainability. And we, are, we have to redesign the system just the opposite, namely that we design it such that it has long-term um, uh, positive sustainable impact with an acceptable financial return. So you see how I had to reframe it totally upside down in order to make the point, you know, that obviously, you know, venture doesn't doesn't fit an economy, you know, where you provide services to the to to, to everybody and you charge an appropriate amount. There is no no unicorns for that matter. Maybe a few, you know, exceptions are always there, but the basic tenant of of the new deep impact economy has to be done by by digitalizing impact, making it tokenized, right? And then and then you can trade it and then, then you can use it. And so as we move to this new economy based on some new technology, you know, we can go away from the old way of uh, financial exits without uh, long-term sustainable impact and make sure that all the stakeholders are incentivized to do that by leveraging tokenization and financing structures that go beyond that. In the midterm, we should also um, democratize impact uh, investing so that it's not only an activity for the rich, and there's some efforts going on right now that could be accelerated with legislation on the crowdfunding platform side and uh, and crowd um, and and uh, and campaign you know structuring campaigns social campaigns or environmental campaigns with financing behind it and things of that nature we could uh, midterm create social stock exchanges where people who um, just have a few 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 euros to invest can actually invest in public equities that are a little bit better than the non-public equities. So, so those are all uh, concrete ideas, you know, with respect to changing the mid-term trajectory of the financial system. And of course, moving beyond ESG. Um, and, um, and I think one that's really, really important is breaking up the monopolies of the banks that they claim are too big to fail. What? How stupid is that? I mean, monopolies are not good for for the environment, they're not good for society, they're not, not good for the workers, they're not good for anybody except for the monopolists, right? And so we do need to uh, convince our politicians you know, that that needs to happen. So how do we do that? Well, we need to add, we need to elevate the consciousness of the uh, consumers and the, and the people to understand what I'm just talking about. And then they will rise up and say, we demand that this is regulated and done differently, which brings me to the last piece and that's the long-term opportunity of changing the financial system and that's we are running on the um on the wrong theory and the theory is called modern portfolio theory which has nothing to do with modern it's old it's antiquated it doesn't work it has nothing to say about systemic change like we, we talk about systemic change and even markowitz himself said this is not a systemic change theory we're just reinterpreting it even against his own will just like tdb you know we shouldn't use that as a proxy for for well-being and so those are the long-term opportunities to rethink uh, the underpinning theories that, that and metrics that we use in order to manage growth, in order to manage well-being, in order to manage what, uh, what, uh, what progress means. And so um, that will require, you know, um, that will require more of, an, of a concerted effort from, from all the silos, including um, 
practitioners, including legislation, including research, and including um, the consciousness that goes along with that uh, to get the courage to say, uh, now is the time to change these systems long term. And, um, and that's, you know, maybe I end up by, uh, since that was on, on my thoughts a little bit the other day, Shambhala warriors, you know, is uh, long term. How does that, how does that work? Well, it's not, it's, it's the emergence of consciousness that we can observe right now. And that where the people who, um, who have the, 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 the know-how and the awareness and the consciousness and the networks to do something, they will have the courage by doing their own internal work to actually say, we will change the system as it, uh, as, as it, as it first is disruptive and very painful for everybody. That is the emergence of the new system long-term. Maybe, maybe it goes short-term too, who knows? I don't, it's hard to predict. Nobody can predict when it's going to happen. We just know it will happen now. <laughs> Right. So before we go to the mind shift and the consciousness change, which is a longer conversation that I'd like to have with you, I'd like to go back a little bit to the, the policy interventions and the legislative uh, interventions that need to occur uh, in order to implement, you know, the short, medium and long term recommendations that you made. Yeah. So let me give you an example of from Germany uh, that is currently or at the European level uh, that is currently happening. Yeah. So. COVID-19 has initiated this, uh, what we call the, you know, the, well, a printing money, uh, you know, yeah. in order to make it available to those in need right now. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, we have done that after the 2008 uh, financial crisis, and uh, it, it, it went into the wrong hands, and it help the old system to perpetuate itself. Basically, we were printing money, making liquidity available into a bankrupt system, and that was actually proven. Now we're doing the same thing. It's needed to put money into people's pockets, but that perpetuate the old mistake. We haven't changed the system. So what needs to happen in order to slowly but surely provide a create a system that is different from the one that we have saved in mm-hmm. 2008 um, because what the financial crisis has shown that this trickle down system where you make money available to the banks that supposedly makes money available to the people that you mentioned you know in need serial entrepreneurs social entrepreneurs uh, the bottom of the pyramid they don't get it because they don't have the assets that the bank- banks required in order to um, to make these, uh, you know, the claims and get the money. So from your perspective, what policy interventions and what legislative interventions and what, in what time frame would have to occur mm-hmm. in order for transformation to, to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big question, that I is, understand. What are your thoughts yeah. around that? Yeah, no, that, that is the fundamental question. It's the right question to ask, right? Because... Um, Right now, it looks like a lot of the mistakes that we have done, as you pointed out, in 2008 are being repeated, right? And, and so the question is, why are they being repeated, right? And, and I go back to the um, awareness and consciousness of the citizens and the people who elect um, their leaders, right? We cannot hide behind the fact that every society, well, not every, but every democratic society, is, is selecting the leaders that reflect who they are, right? And so we need to acknowledge that it doesn't look that great, uh, you know, in the U.S. particularly, but other countries as well, 
you know, with respect to the leadership and, and we need to, and so, so without that, you know, all of what we discuss will not happen because it will just be an intellectual exercise and maybe even a heartfelt exercise or even a soul-felt exercise by some of us that really has no chance of actualization, you know, in the real society. And so, but, but if we were to work, through, you know, the credas and, and what we talk about in the impact investing community, we are making progress. We don't know if it's going to be fast enough or not. We, you know, nobody knows. We cannot debate that, but we are making progress. So what are some of the uh, ideas, you know, that we haven't discussed yet? I talked about it briefly in some countries, particularly countries that are led by female prime ministers have already made that switch to move away from GDP to well-being, right? And measure the uh, wellness of their societies with respect to the wellness of their citizens and not with the, with, with the, with the mythical exponential growth of something that actually contributes to the demise of the planet, right? So that's, that's one. I think the EU is also at the forefront of regulating for what I would say, you know, the principles of circularity and regenerativity. And uh, even so, it doesn't go far enough, but it's certainly further than China and the US. And so I think that the EU particularly has an opportunity, and in my opinion, even a responsibility to be a counterpoint to the existing trends in the US and the existing trends in China. If the EU were able to do that, they should not be scared like they, maybe some people are in normalizing the whole globe right now to the least common denominator. No, no, no. Europe has the ethical backbone and the philosophical know-how you know, to insist on something that the monopolistic U.S. economy and the state-run Chinese uh, you know, economy cannot possibly do. And therefore, I encourage you know, and hope and we need to give the EU from wherever we sit, you know, the confidence that they're on the right path, even if big companies are pushing back and, and, and give them the confidence that they should not, like is going on in different uh, parts of the globe, uh, support and subsidize the old extractive industries that are just going to contribute exponentially, uh, you know, to climate change and social, social injustice. I think we need to radically transform the tax system to, to, to tax resource consumption, right, with a progressive tax. And uh, there, there are some signs for that, right, and, but not enough. And it's a big, it's a, it's a big change, but without doing that, it, you know, the, the, the wrong things are taxed and, and, and the externalities that are therefore still occurring are then pushed off to society, which is wrong, right? And so, so moving the tax system to that, and then I think the EU is starting to, to enforce, you know, ESG reporting, and it should also re enforce negative impact reporting, right, for instance, so that we know, because, you know, frankly, I don't want to invest in, in, in the most beautifully run, most diversely run weapons manufacturer, even if they use green steel to, to manufacture their beautiful weapons. I don't, because they get a huge G score, right? And it just doesn't really fit into, into, into my values and, and how, we should, how, how we should run the economy. And one idea, you know, that also has been at the forefront maybe in Europe more than, than everywhere else on, 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 on the planet is universal base income, right? People are not talking about job losses that much anymore, maybe a few pockets. But the fact of the matter is that you know, hopefully two-thirds of the jobs that we're losing right now will come back. I even fear that less will come back. So, so the, uh, you know, we had this discussion before COVID about the technology, you know, getting rid of many, many jobs, which is true over time, right? But this is an accelerator now. And therefore, 
you know, universal base income or what I would say universal earned income is a huge opportunity for humanity to make a difference on the income level for the, for the poor and the marginalized. So the idea is that we move away from the Google and Facebook model who um, monetize our behavior, right, uh, our digital behavior, and then send us ads that we really didn't ask for and, 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 and then manipulate us to sit in front of the apps longer than we intend to in order to get served more, more ads that we didn't want to. And that's how, the, how, how that economy is run. And most people, I, I think by now, pay for real deep, good content, right? And they would also uh, want an opportunity to own their data. And so with modern technology and AI, artificial intelligence, and maybe blockchain, you know, I can imagine, and we, I'm working with a couple of startups on that topic, I can imagine a system, you know, where I will be able to um, monetize the data that I generate, the health data, where I am, whom I talk to, what, you know, where, where, what I do in which context. And, um, and, and I think that that's, doable now or soon with respect to, let's say in India, we have 1.4 billion Android phones and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just $15 per phone and gigabytes up and down are practically, uh, you know, you don't have to pay for that anymore if you don't go into multiple gigabytes. And therefore, everybody has a digital footprint. So if we develop an infrastructure that actually enables the people to own their data and then sell their digital footprint or donate it to somebody, you know, I've had cancer, and if my, my, my Apple Watch right now is monitoring my health to a certain extent, and I don't want to necessarily enable Apple to analyze all my data in on and on, and all that, I would like to enable, you know, a research institution that does lymphoma research, and I would give it for free with my name attached to it. But if an insurance wants my data, I would charge an arm and a leg, or I wouldn't even sell it to them, right? And so that, the new world, uh, in order to to have have that available for everybody, we'll have to move in in that, and that would be an opportunity, you know, to legislate um, and, and break up this, these huge monopolies that are on the down downhill anyway. Uh, but we don't know when when they're going to be replaced. And uh, so that, those are, I think, a few a few opportunities for the leg legislation to be uh, forward looking and to make sure that if they do um, save big industries, it's only done with um, stipulating real change with respect to accountability and responsibility on the social and environmental side, that they actually accelerate subsidizing social enterprises and small and medium enterprises in order, because they are the backbone of sustainability ultimately, and that they, um, and they le legislate them that in, into um, top-down. And, and the EU should absolutely start with, with a focus on ethical you know, principles. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for basically confirming what I'm saying all along that um, small yeah. enterprises are the backbone of sustainability transformation. And uh, my question to you is, uh, do you think that government will change in order to implement what you just suggested or whatever needs to be done? Uh, no. Government will well, will, the, yeah. <laughs> well, will the small and medium enterprises through their uh, successes like Amazon or Facebook or Google will basically force a new behavior, new uh, systems, create new systems just because of their creativity and, and innovation 
whereby forcing legislation later on, like uh, with Uber or Airbnb and so on. What, what do you think? Who's going to win first? Yeah, yeah. Because like you, I am. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, th I think, you know, we, we talked about the, the real inspiration of the EU um, government and, all, and, and, and legislation, right? And which, which it is. And so that shouldn't take away from the comment that I'm making now, namely that it seems like on the entrepreneurial changes of society with the, what's referred to as the gig economy and, and modern, modern ways of working, you know, COVID is teaching us that too now. And I'm, you know, I've been really underwhelmed by the power of the unions in, in, in Europe particularly that prevent you know, legislation to actually be modernized and uh, with the old medieval system of uh, common and these, these organizations where you have to be a member even if you don't want to be a member and you have to pay their dues even if you don't want to. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's part of the old system, right? And uh, governments have to throw this out because it does not help anybody. You know, Wirtschaftskammer and Ärztekammer, all these things are like, you know, past systems. So, so, so we need to um, be more imaginative about how we, you know, now, now that COVID has actually taught people who, who were very skeptical about, uh, you know, working from home. We do our interview over Zoom, right? And we know each other, so there's no, no issue in, in interpreting our, our, you know, how we feel about things as we talk and all that. And, and that, that will be, you know, necessary as well. And so, so the, the legislation, unfortunately, doesn't get pressure enough from that side of the system saying we are responsible for the old systems that we that we maintain and we need to break them up legislation is not courageous enough to break up the monopolies even so eu is doing the most on the planet of that and i encourage them to break up you know google and facebook and everything else too if they could because that that's part of the problem right and but the but the but the governments will not have the courage to do that if they don't Get an indicator from their constituencies that they they will get reelected if they do that, and as a matter of fact, they will not get reelected if they don't do that. And there is the the gap, you know. So um, we maybe we talk about consciousness, maybe we don't. But I want to I want to give an, an example uh, of consciousness and how it prevented the government in Hawaii from doing the wrong thing because the population started waking up to something. Yeah, so let's, in Hawaii, do, let's, do, um, let's talk about yeah. mind shift and consciousness. It's extremely important. Let's yeah. do that now. Okay, so I give, I give an example that's going, that's going to be really illustrative of what has to happen in order to do that. So my wife, Lisa, and I were quite active in Hawaii, and we have an, an, a business accelerator for social entrepreneurs there, so we're quite, quite active there and know a lot of the infrastructure of players and what have you. Now, in the, in the state of Hawaii, big uh, capital has always been able to finance, you know, big infrastructure projects or big uh, telescopes on very holy sites. Mauna Kea, the biggest, uh, the tallest volcano in Hawaii being the holiest mountain uh, for the Hawaiians. And yet, you know, big business was able to push through all these 18, 20, 24 telescopes that, that partially are not even used anymore. So what happened in the past two years in Hawaii is that Yet another huge, the biggest telescope is supposed to, to, to be built, right? And uh, the resistance formed, and they have, uh, you know, and then a non-violent non resistance, and they have these, um, what do they call them, protectors, right? That are up in Mauna Kea and protect the holy lands 
And they don't, you know, they partially have to go to jail, but they, you know, they do what they do in order to protect the land. And the governor normally would just force them out and would allow, you know, big capital to come in and, and put in the, the new telescope. What happened is that the majority of the people, Hawaiians and non-Hawaiians, are not allowing that anymore. So without the majority of the people not allowing that anymore, the governor would have activated the, um, the National Guard, which has no connectivity to the local population, and they're coming in from the mainland, so they don't even understand the spirit of aloha and consciousness that, that the Hawaiians understand. And, and, and because the local sheriffs and the local people are part of, the, are part of uh, Hawaiians, right? And so they would really not want to fight their people if they're non-violently protesting something that's bad for them anyway. And so only because of that consciousness and awareness uh, having lifted is that particular intervention not going to be allowed anymore, right? And so that's an, a beautiful opportunity, I think, to reflect on what would it take, you know, for the consciousness of the Brazilian people, you know, to wake up and say, oh, we actually care about the Amazon, not only for ourselves, but for humanity. And we need to figure out how to, how to make sure that we can, uh, you know, support that and, and not, not like the current, uh, you know, legislation there, you know, cutting it down. In, in the U.S., you know, if the population would wake up and say, okay, we have an opportunity, you know, to go to renewable energy and, and be the leader, and we are not allowing that, you know, that, that level, if the majority of the people would demand that, the government would have to, would have to do that, or they would not be reelected. And so, um, so that's what I mean by awakening and, and consciousness. You know, without the awakening and consciousness, the old forces that are the power structures and that don't allow the other voices to be heard because media is also in the pocket of the big companies, right? In the pocket of the big politicians. So we need, you know, modern media that, that actually goes beyond the existing, you know, uh, landscapes to do that. So that's what I mean by, um, you know, in, in Germany, I wonder, you know, what, what, what the issue is, why coal cannot be, you know, not done anymore and why, why we have to wait 15, 20 more years, you know, in order, order not to do coal. What's lacking in the understanding of the, of the general populace that says, no, we shouldn't do coal anymore. And the 40,000 people that are, that, that are going to lose their jobs, we can have to re-educate the younger ones and to, to, to give pensions to the other ones as opposed to keeping them on payroll to continue to mess up the lives of the commons, you know? And, uh, and so what would it take to wake up the people on that level? That's the question that I ask for my contribution over the next 30 years, you know, in, in, in the rest of my life. Yeah, and I, I believe that the collective consciousness, which is the one that you've talked about begins with the evolution of individual consciousness and uh yes as yes. you and i i couldn't you know i couldn't agree more 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 with you on that uh, because the only way to contribute to the collective consciousness is to be in order with yourself so because you're you know your life is a direct expression of who you are inside not of your brain and not of your heart but of the soul of, of who you are on the soul level and therefore if your soul um, is, is, is scattered, if your soul is confused, you know, it will show in the work of your life. And not, you know, in a non-judgmental way. So I didn't want to say it, that that's either good or bad. It, it, it is just how it is. But the way that you cultivate that will have an impact. And the, and, and the and human consciousness, you know, is to a certain extent um, uh, the summary of the collective consciousness of all of us. And that's why the warriors of the spiritual warriors that, that as Shambhala calls it, 
you know, the emergence of uh, awareness, as I call it, you know, are the counterpoint, you know, and if that doesn't happen, nothing will change. And then, uh, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows. We just have to do what we have to do. And maybe it changes, maybe it doesn't, it, you know. Right. So the, one of the intentions with this initiative uh, of the financial hub is to aggregate enough wisdom of uh, illustrious minds across the world to come a little bit closer to the tipping point where the next yeah. level of consciousness becomes becomes obvious and we don't really know and, and the shift actually occurs because every it's self-understood yeah. by every by um by yeah 11 as they say where the tipping point lies so 11 yeah, and so so so, so going back somewhere to, around that you know, going yeah going back to the beginning of our conversation right so if we end up only treating the symptoms of COVID 19 then N nothing will change short term except that the next bigger pandemic, the next disruption that's bigger than Australia, that's bigger than California with respect to climate change disruptions are going to happen. You don't need to have a PhD in economy to understand that anymore, right? And so it's up to us, you know, and, and if we don't, well, then we will be reminded bigger and we will be reminded bigger and bigger and bigger until the system breaks. And we just don't know when the system will break, you know, and, um, and uh, but if we don't get ahead of that, then it will eventually break and that will then be the opportunity and that will be majorly painful for the majority of the humanity then if we, if we wait that long, you know, at that point in time, then it will change forcibly because the planet cannot sustain it anymore. And therefore, that's what it does. So within that context, the next question for you, with whom do you think should we, the Club of Rome, we, the ones that are getting gathering in our various organizations, partner up with in order to reach yeah. that tipping point. Who are the organizations from your point, point of view that are already there that get it with whom uh, to join forces, we can join forces and break the silos? Because one of the biggest issues that I see, having been yeah. joining with you in this for decades is you know it's the non-invented here syndrome so everyone is creating their yeah. own thing and trying to be yeah. the one that breaks through but we can only achieve something together if we join forces so who are those partners who are the fun and how can we fund ourselves yeah yeah so that's a um, critical question as well right because uh, i do believe that you know right now i would consider Club of Rome, our, our club uh, to be part of the old world, not the new one today, right? And so the question is, how can we, and I want to make a contribution, so I'm not just critical, but I'll say, what can I do, you know, to enable that to, to get to the, uh, to, 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 to the new way of doing things, collaborative, inclusive, diverse, um, net networks of networks, um, and, and all of that. And uh, so I think a modern media strategy is, is part of uh, what, we, what we have to do. And so, instead of writing books and, and, and going to the old channels and going to, to the old conferences, right? We need to, there's emerging networks right now and, and COVID is actually accelerating that. And so I see quite a few very interesting efforts going on, you know, that, um, that, are, that are reimagining the, the beauty of digital connectivity and regional, digital global con uh, connectivity and regional in-person connectivity, right? And, and how that actually interacts. And so I think the Club of Rome is a, is a white club uh, that's Northern Hemisphere centric and um, 
if we don't change that, then that's what it is. And so unless you change it, that's what you get, right? Because uh, white Northern clubs produce things for white Northerners. That's how it works <laughs> because we're all biased, right? And so, so, so opening up our own, our own doors and getting the diversity, you know, in it without that, uh, we can intellectualize and, and think about what we want to do, but it's not, it, it, it doesn't, it, it's not going to happen, right? Because we are going to, we, we are who we are. And therefore, unless we change who we are, it's, it, we will not be able to, um, to, to go beyond that. And I think, so that's the, the, the starting point is to, um, if we want to do that, is to uh, make it more global, make it more inclusive and make it more reflective of society as a whole, right? And number two then is, uh, is, Similarly, you know, do that in, 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 a, in a way that's, uh, that's the modern communication way with modern technology, right? The networks of networks uh, approach. And number three is don't forget the consciousness. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, the, the Club of Rome is very brainy and uh, good. You know, I like, I like an intellectual exercise and I like to, to spar. I have a PhD in computer science. I like that too, but I don't confuse what my brain says with who I am. And that's, uh, you know, and that's really, really, really important on the human level, right? And I, I see a lack of uh, acknowledgement in that. I don't, you know, um, in, in the current setup and how we, how we practice things. And again, it, this is all friendly um, criticism, not, not, not sharp criticism. And, but it's also, uh, I mean it also, because if we don't change it, then, then we will not be able to have the impact that, we, that, that, that you and I and others want to have. And if that were the case, then I would leave in one or two years because why waste my time on something, you know, that, that is not going to change. And so I think it's, you know, in order to attract uh, the talent and, and the people that are, that are designing the new system, we need to make it um, a nice place for them. And we need to be challenged by them. We need to be able to digest their criticism. We need to be able to, uh, to not judge them, you know, and that requires a quite elevated level of consciousness itself. Right. So to move away from the um, Aristotelian centric mindset, the European um, platonic uh, thinking toward a more inclusive uh, Asian that is so much wiser and deeper and older. I couldn't agree more with that, with you on this. So, so do you have any concrete partnership ideas? Whom do you think we should be interviewing? Who else uh, from this part of the world? I, uh, the, one of the reasons yeah. why I have agreed to uh, co-chair yeah. the nominations committee is uh, exactly that, to address yeah. exactly what you just said. Um, and uh, so since you are a global force for good, do you have any concrete organ, uh, recommendations, maybe people, or you could, you could send me that via email if you have any yeah. ideas later on. But this is a very important um, issue and initiative. If we really want to define ourselves and be around in, another, in the next 50 years so we can celebrate yeah. the 100 year uh, anniversary. So I, th I think we're seeing now, so now is the time to be attentive, right? Because um, now is the time when new organizations that understand the post-COVID opportunities and challenges better, they put their stake in the ground and in, in, in whatever, in a few months, and you know, it goes fast now, they will replace the old organizations that are not able to make that switch. 
so so there there are organizations right that um that are being formed right now that are modern and that will be the leaders you know in and so we need to be attentive to that i've i've worked with uh, with one in the last three four weeks called phoenix um and uh, ton and masha are the leaders in in that and they have pivoted you know totally from uh, from the the, the pre-covid world to the post with respect to their knowledge base with respect to how they organize themselves and, and all of that and so so i think that um and then anybody any other networks that have um you know entrepreneurial leaders that are conscious about what we talked about on the awareness side as well you know it, it's an opportunity to do these networks of networks without creating a, a single network and reach out to to some of them um and 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 then use modern technology to build these these connectivity tissues right that, that enables cooperation collaboration inspiration and um and emergence to happen um so we don't know exactly how to do all of that but i think the you know i'll give you an example um out of the tonic world you know where i'm leading an effort called deep impact and deep impact is defined by systemic change in consciousness and doing it in in a in a non-anthropocentric way, just like deep ecology is doing deep ecology as opposed to ecology. And I've thought about, well, um, how do I enable a global community, uh, but with the, with, with, with the connectivity on the personal side, you know, to thrive. And, and YPO has done what they call forums, which have been very successful in creating regional global support groups right and then overlaying it with a digital platform to create thematic types of opportunities across forums and and i'm going a little bit in the same direction but turning it upside down saying we have digital global forums and once in a while we meet physically when the when when, when the time is right and, and all of that and so i think that the that, that we have an opportunity to create really strong networks digitally, you know, uh, with modern technology and using it not to replace global meetings, not at all, but in order to create meaningful connectivity on a planetary scale that then we can leverage in the, in the, in the, in the, in the offline world to do the human connectivity on top of that. So I think we're, we're seeing, we're seeing a turnaround in that. And I don't, I don't anticipate the mega global events to come back, back before 2022, if at all, right? Because they're just not the right, the right model. They're not, and they're so superficial because if you, if you really think about it, you only get like five to 10 minutes to give your thing. So there is no opportunity to really dig deeper into thinking or even yeah. as a woman, this is a very male oriented uh, way of, uh, yeah. of doing things, you know, just one train of thought and shoot it in mm -hmm. five minutes. I, as a woman, I need a process. I need to get into various <laughs> yeah. states of consciousness and feelings and connect before I can open and begin to generate ideas. So, um, so these, this is why yeah. I insisted totally. on, yeah, this is, I insisted on this form uh, format of, um, of gathering uh, our collective ideas, you know, that it opens up the door for a deeper conversation, as you said, deep impact. Well, wonderful. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
I, I think uh, we've come to an end. One more question for you. You mentioned mm -hmm. um, uh, technology over and over again. As a computer scientist and AI person myself, I love what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I just completed writing my book on uh, integral impact and uh, trying to respond to the Club of Rome uh, that we do need technology if we really want to address climate change, uh, which is not a common uh, train of thought uh, within that group. So, no, we do, yeah. So, yes, please uh, all, give us yeah, your yes, thoughts yes. on mm -hmm. the role, yeah. two things, the role, uh, just is to summar, uh, summarize, because I keep hearing within the Club of Rome, we don't need more technology. And the truth is, not, it's not right. So what is your think, uh, train of thought along those uh, areas uh, as far as exponential technologies are concerned, mm -hmm. and also the role of entrepreneurship? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so I have this, because of my background, <coughs> excuse me, I have decided to work on the on the intersection, the confluence of three mega themes, right? And um, not in priority order. It's deep impact, um, and then it's consciousness and technology, right? And um, and I think that you know technology is a huge enabler and can also be a huge disruptor and, and, and it's very it's a very dangerous um, time for humanity in order to harness either technology or to let it go um, rogue so to speak which will have bigger con consequences i'm not i'm not arguing like elon musk and others that that uh, that ai artificial intelligence will become consciousness no in my opinion you know consciousness human consciousness has been in, in evolution for what five billion years, and and it's 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 just unimaginable for me uh, to even think that we could copy evolution and, and do that the the magic that they have done over that many many years. But having said this, um, right, I think that the consequences of um, of uh, predictive models and the consequences of learning algorithms and the consequences of big data sets that are wrong many times are real and, and they either perpetuate and, and augment and and increase suffering or they are used to um to move us beyond that and that's why i thought you know that's why i think it's so important to have the ethical framework agreed upon ultimately it has to be agreed upon globally right i don't anticipate that the us and in china will lead that effort right now and that i fear that uh, Europeans are falling behind because they're not investing enough in technology, uh, but be that as it may, right? Um, I think that uh, I also think that the that the um, the global food production, you know, for 10 billion people, if we should be 10 billion people or close to that in, in a few years, can be done without technology. And I'm not meaning, you know, mono, monocultures. I'm not meaning, you know, lack of biodiversity. I mean the opposite. The technology can be used to actually do. Uh, more productive, uh, you know, cross-cropping and, and all the, you know, more organic and more biodynamic, but with the, with more sensors and more understanding of what's going on. And lastly, you know, I don't see enough um, technology being applied to, under, to understanding consciousness. And so there's a small group of people, you know, who invest in that. And, and I think that we're making a little bit of uh, a little bit of progress. It's on the fringes of, uh, of, 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 of modern science because modern science, for whatever reason, you know, thinks that we are superior to the universe as opposed to trying to figure out how the universe actually works. And that's a fundamental flaw 
and uh, and uh, but and 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 but um, you know I'm very intrigued in the feedback loops and how consciousness and subconsciousness works together. And as you know, you know ten day med silent meditations actually allow you to experience that yourself predictably. So there's no magic behind that. If you sit still for ten days, things are going to happen that otherwise would not happen. And one of the things that happens is you start understanding a little bit the interactions between the subconsciousness and the consciousness, and you start start understanding that the consciousness makes up all these stories and you observe them as opposed to being consumed by them, right? And so we know the shamans and the old wisdom traditions, you know, they have formulas that actually work in, 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 in getting your, your mind into a different uh, mindset that, that you can ex experience that. And so I think that that's really, really if, if I could maybe do my small contribution to enable technology also consciousness, right? And then, and then, like I said, go deeper on the impact side, because if, if impact events, you know, measuring impact is difficult, right? Especially if you're talking about long-term um, outcomes and what have you. But if we put these, if we put these um, impact events on a blockchain, so they're immutable and they cannot be changed anymore, then people can pay for them, right? And that's happening now. And this, this is going to be the new system. And that's going to replace social impact bonds because it's so difficult to do controlled study groups to prove that something happened. And I'm glad to participate in some of these beautifully emerging you know, technologies that will, will make a big change in how we do impact and how we do consciousness. So that, that's an interesting you know, conference, but we have to be really careful that it doesn't get out of hand. Um, and in, and, and that's, that can only be done again with elevated consciousness because unless the humanity agrees that that's a bad thing for humanity to happen, it will happen. Yes, uh, thank you. And this is why for, for many years now, I've been an um, advocate of the Club of Rome getting deeply involved in this conversation uh, with respect to yeah. Yeah. AI development and ethical AI and, um, and the, morally, the moral application of yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. As the AI is as good as the, the individual bias level of consciousness of the programmers. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so, but yeah, as long yeah. as we don't have that understanding, um, you know, we will create egocentric um, applications yeah. that are going to misuse us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being uh, part of this conversation. Uh, this is just the beginning, and uh, I am thrilled. Right. Thank you for your wonderful thoughts, and uh, thank you so much. Okay. And, uh, give my Sounds love good. to Lisa. Yeah. Take care. Bye. I will. <laughs> Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more on Dr. Bosazan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.